take a deep, long, slow breath in and exhale. And again, inhale and exhale. Finally, inhale and exhale. Welcome to the Mindful Music Pedagogy Podcast, where we're dedicated to helping music educators develop a balanced awareness of what we teach as well as who we teach. My name is Jessica Kebby, and if you like a direct, smart, kind, and sometimes humorous approach to music, education, and wellness, this is the place for you. If you haven't listened to part one of my interview with Emily Trapp Jenkins, you can do so now. In part two, Emily Trapp Jenkins discusses her experiences during her master's degree and shares her very honest feelings about failure. We talk about the stigma that often comes with admitting to experiencing musical performance anxiety, especially to our peers, and we discuss the pervasive use of coping tools, good and bad, that musicians often use to help them deal with anxiety. Emily vulnerably shares her lowest point in her musical career, her injury. I do want to include a trigger warning. This episode includes a discussion of suicide. And now we pick up with Emily sharing the story about her first master's degree recital hearing. I will, I can happily and confidently go on the record that I never did any self-harm. I never had thoughts of ending my life. I never, ever drank myself like anything, you know, I never, ever got to that point, but I, I really don't think that we consider the fact that sometimes you don't need some of those things, like some of those physical self-harm things to still have a very serious mental Mm -hmm. state. And I guess on the outside, I had thought to myself, well, I I have no desire of killing myself. Mm -hmm. I have no desire of hurting myself. I have no desire to drink myself to death or any, like nothing serious like that, but it didn't feel right. Yes. (laughs) And it still wasn't okay. So at that point I ended my first year. I did not pass my hearing for my recital, for my MN recital. Okay. Um, And I, for reference, you had to, to give two, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So for the MM program, it's uh, one per year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Normally it's one per year. Right. Um, I, so that felt horrible. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And I, I knew going in, I wasn't going to pass. I mean, it would have been a miracle. There were sections of my music that weren't memorized. Um, it was a massive program. I loved the music. I just like from an efficiency standpoint, I was not ready. That's just yeah. the, that's just the right. reality of it. I was of course dealing with a lot of anxiety. I was really right. nervous. I had a lot of bad thoughts in my mind, but you so know, that didn't help as you went in. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But and sure. in my preparation, I mean, I remember that weekend leading up to my hearing, I practiced, you know, eight or 10 hours a day. It was awful. I just like was trying to cram it in, cram sure. it in, cram it in, which as um, anybody who does a physical <laughs> fine skill knows doesn't work. It ain't going to work. Yeah. Work. And I don't know why I was convinced it was going to, I mean, I'm smart. Like we I all said do earlier, that though. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm smarter than that, but I, I just, for some, you know, weird, miraculous reason, I thought it was going to be able to be pulled <laughs> off. Um, so, you know, I played my hearing and it was not great. And I, I knew, you know, I knew it was not great, but what I had been encouraged was that, you know, a hearing, you know, is sort of, you know, uh, just a check-in point, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Well, 
even that, like I, I really didn't deserve to pass. Um, it was, I was absolutely devastated as you can imagine. But the other loophole, the thing that really crushed me was not that I didn't pass, but my committee came back and said, we're not going to pass you for your hearing. And we really don't think you need to get, be getting an MM. And that was the kicker. That was where I was like, wait, 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 because I had based gotten, on one time of hearing you in yes. terms of your the rest of your committee, right? After one year, right? That's a pretty serious judgment call to make. I felt that that was very yeah. serious, and I I followed up with my teacher, and I said, I really want to just understand this, like why? Right? Did it come from him, or is he just following the committee's recommendation? Like, yeah, where's the weight? Yes. I would like to learn more about this. (laughs) And the way that it was presented to me with that decision was that it was a no brainer decision. Um, this is coming from your teacher or coming from a committee member. Um, it came from both, uh, in, in pieces. Um, I talked with the committee and then I talked with my private teacher as well, but, um, it seemed, you know, in their eyes, it was a no-brainer decision. They knew that I was interested in pedagogy because I had been doing the class piano GTA position mm-hmm. that year. Um, tremendous, great feedback from that. So they knew yes. that I, you know, I had some skills in other places. And the way that they presented it to me was, we want you to have an opportunity to do other things besides just focus on your performance. And just for reference for our listeners, an MM is a master of music, which is a performance degree, not a teaching-based degree. Yes. And at the time when I was at this school, they only offered an MM or an MA. And an MA stands for a master's of arts, and you can get a music emphasis. Which is generally not as performance focused. No, not at all. MM, not at all. Okay, Um, it's a lot less credit hours on paper as well with courses, Um, and then you can't get as specialized. Um, So, for for example, with an MM, like I could have specialized obviously in piano performance, Mm -hmm. and um, some institutions do performance and pedagogy, but Mm -hmm. an MA, a Master's of Arts in music, your special your specialization is music, not Mm, piano, piano, right? It's not like it's, excuse me, on paper, it's not as specific. And from where we both grew up in our, in our having our goals, like a performance-based degree is a, ah, what, what would be a good, I mean, that's kind of like, that's, that's it. just what, that's you, what do. you go for. Yeah, that's right. what you do. That's the lineage. So to feel, to get that recommendation, did that feel like I've failed on this goal, 100%. I guess, I guess. A hundred percent. And I'm not I mean, trying to by any means make you feel bad. No, my gosh. No, no, no. Moments. No, I just... I, it's really okay. Cause absolutely. I mean, it was yeah. absolutely devastating. Yeah. And I, I felt that it was almost like someone was playing a joke on me that mm-hmm. first year, because like I said, from my first lesson and then from the mm-hmm. whole experience, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say just exclusively the relationship I had with my teacher that, right. that has, that is a, a contributor, but that's not my entire experience. Sure. It was just at that point in my life and at that point of my skills and what I needed and what I was getting and the environment I was around and all these elements, I want to make that very clear. Sure. Of course. It was not like, it was not just exclusively the relationship with my teacher. It was not exclusively the institution. It was a whole huge handful of things. I wish, I mean, it's, it's a huge laundry list. I mean, there were so many, my grandmother died that year. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I was, I just moved to this brand new city. Right. It was no all anybody. These, yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy list of 
mm-hmm. many, many things that were stressors in my life. But, um, I, you know, when I got that recommendation, I, I honestly thought that they were playing a joke on me because mm-hmm. I felt that way this whole year. And it was kind of just like the cherry on top and, mm-hmm. uh, it felt bad. It felt really bad. So I went to the academic advisor who absolutely amazing at UMKC. Mm. Her name is Helen Perry. Um, she, I went into her and I, you know, I was crying and I was really upset. And this was like a couple weeks after. And I said, okay, Helen, I guess I'm going to get an MA. Like I'm here. I'm going to finish this degree. Right. I'm going to do it because it's, I I do these things, right? I finish what I start, (laughs) but I told her, I said, I want to, I want to make the most of this. So how can we do that? And so she asked, she said, well, what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first time in my whole time <laughs> that someone had said, well, what do you want to do with your piano degree? Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what a breath of fresh air. And I realized after teaching the group piano GTA, I was like, I feel really passionate about teaching. I feel like I'm a really great teacher. I feel like I'm really dynamic in front of people. I actually have a minor in communications from my undergrad. I always thought I would be the weather woman. That's a whole separate story. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so I am a strong communicator. I'm a strong teacher. She goes, okay, well, we've got a whole slate of music education courses. I was like, whoa, cool. And she was amazing. She actually showed me on paper the difference of coursework in the MM degree and then the MA. And in the MM, you have absolutely no wiggle room. Right. I think you no might electives. be able to choose one class, maybe if you like front load, um, mm-hmm. but no flexibility. And then in the MA, she showed me, she's like, oh, well, you could actually walk this December if you wanted to. I had no idea. Like the MA was such a much, much smaller course, mm. wo- course load, excuse me. But my GTA was going to be the whole next year. So yeah. I told her, I said, no, 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 we're going to stretch this out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to customize my classes. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what I did. I said, I'm going to make the most of this degree. I'm going to get it. I'm going to walk. Mm-hmm. I'm going to graduate with my friends and I'm going to learn something while I'm here, even though this is really crappy, what has happened mm-hmm. to me. And I'm not super happy about it, but I'm going to try to make the most of it. I had had the summer, you know, to take a summer off get away. I did not play the piano that summer. I Mm. said, I just need a little bit of a mental break. And when I came back in the fall, I got to do courses that were like Mm. my jam, right? I took professional aspects of college teaching and I took chamber music history and I took all these classes that I would not have had the chance to do in a really strict, you know, MM program. And I had a blast. I mm-hmm. had a great time. I, um, unfortunately I had to switch teachers because, uh, my teacher at the time got in a really horrible, right. horrible, horrible accident and was actually in a coma. Thankfully he has made it through and he's completely healthy from what I've heard, which is just a crazy story in itself. But yeah. I worked, I started working with another studio teacher who was able to kind of help answer some of my questions about technique and that recital program that I did my hearing on in the spring, I actually did end up giving that recital in October of that year. And there was no recital requirement for the MA, but I, you know, I'm very stubborn. (laughs) Shocker. I'm very, very stubborn. And I said, no, no, like I put in all this work on this rep. I would like to play it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, my parents came out and it was not a degree requirement. I just did it on my own. It was in, you know, the recital hall and I had fun, you know, was it the most glamorous uh, performance of my life. Absolutely not. I've played better. Um, was it important for me to do it mostly because of that mental block? Yes. 
Was I completely over my anxiety? No. That, I mean, leading up to that was horrible, just as horrible as getting ready for the hearing and things like that. Um, I had pretty major memory slips in my performance, right? So I wasn't, it was not perfect, but that was a really big deal for me just to do it. <laughs> Can we, I'm going to stop you really yeah. quick because I like where the story is headed. Yeah. <laughs> but I had one other thing. Yes, I'm to, sorry. No, yeah. no, no, you're good. I feel like we're, it, it's actually just leading right into this. So I want to yeah. talk about this real quick. And good. again, not to just like hammer this horse and make everybody feel awful. No. But I think it's so important to talk about that feeling of failure. It's so yeah. important. And I, you touched on so many things that I actually I had made notes about to, to just mention. Um, I don't know about you, but I think, I think when we were in our, maybe our grad degrees, mm -hmm. the topic of music performance anxiety and how that manifests itself, uh, was beginning, beginning to not be quite as taboo among our teachers. Mm -hmm. However, I think there was still a significant, um, stigmatization among our peers, perhaps yeah. about talking about that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, it's not like any, it's there. Everybody has it. Yeah. Uh, and, but it was something about admitting it and admitting to talking about it that I, th I think still in, in many of our minds and peers minds that automatically somehow makes you less of a musician, even if it's not true, yeah. even if you're still on hmm. the A-list, it's like, just saying that you might struggle there takes yeah. you off the A-list. It Even totally if it does. doesn't actually end up impacting your playing. Yes. Um, you mentioned alcohol, all this kind of stuff. We both know, I mean, we know many musicians personally who struggled mm -hmm. with abuse of, of alcohol, drugs, who used other things that were not, you know, substance abuses, but things like hypnosis and therapy mm -hmm. to kind of help get through that performance anxiety mm -hmm. for better or for worse for better. Yeah. Good or bad tools of that. They were tools, coping tools. Yeah. And unfortunately we also know several people that committed suicide mm -hmm. or made attempts and, um, at, yeah. at UMKC itself during our time there. Mm -hmm. Um, but also just in general, um, I think about the, the Clyburn competition, the Van Clyburn competition the, in, held in Fort Worth every four years, which is sort of like the Olympics of piano is mm -hmm. just the pinnacle. That's what you, you know, anyone who wants to make it on the competition circuit shoots for that one. Um, but they have this thing called the Clyburn curse. And that is where their gold winners, their gold medal winners, um, many have committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And actually one of them, when I was doing my master's at TCU, one of the instructors there was, um, was Jose, uh, Figali. And oh my he, God. uh, he ended up, you know, committing suicide shortly after I left there. And it's just, it is so common. It's, it's scary. Common. It is ridiculously common. And for all the ones that actually, this sounds just horrible to even talk about, it, but, but for all the, the people who actually end up committing suicide, there are so many more that tried that didn't yes. either and I, follow through or didn't end up, you know, it didn't yeah, end up yeah. working the way they hoped. But although, you know, exactly. Gladly yeah. it didn't, but, oh, you're so right. And, you know, I also want to mention that, um, I don't, I don't have any interest in glorifying suicide here, but right. I also want to say that like they, like you said, there are so many ways that people can, abuse their self. Like right. It's right. so many ways where they can, um, like numb the pain right. if you, you know, for a metaphor. Um, I mean, it was common. I don't know for you, but to have, you know, pretty, 
I'm not you personally, but like in your studio to have a fairly a large number of people after studio classes to go drink, to drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we did that. Because studio um, class is a pretty brutal experience a lot of times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think about half of my studio at one point or another was medicated. Right. Um, I have, and that's never... ones you knew about. You yes, know. exactly. <laughs> um, prescription yes. medication, um, and not abusing it, but they were on, right. you know, doctor Something. recommended medication Beta blockers or mm-hmm. anxiety and medication, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um, depression medication, right. whatever it may be. Um, and I, you know, there was, there was a time where that was tempting for me right. to go to my doctor and say, I really think that this might be like a chemical imbalance because mm-hmm. obviously that's what depression and anxiety is. Most of the time is, you know, literally the hormones and chemicals in your body are really not matching up. So I did consider that. And that's, yeah. That is an option. Um, you know, for whatever reason or another, I didn't go that route, but you're exactly right. Um, people use whatever mechanism they need at the time. And it's really sad. Um, and really, I think there's nothing that breaks my heart more than being able to relate to that feeling in other people when they say like, I just suck at this. Like, cause again, I have been there so many times we all have. Mm-hmm. And then for them to feel like that, that, um, thought is so strong that they have to take their own life. Right. Um, I had a friend who I met at a summer program. She just got her doctorate at Michigan. This mm-hmm. is for you, Leah Claiborne. Uh, she went to Manhattan for a degree. I don't remember which degree, but she, during her, her, during her time at Manhattan school of music, she said that she had four instances, four, where she would walk into a practice room to get a practice room and somebody would be dead inside four times, like, because they had committed suicide. That is too many. One is too many, like an attempt is too many. That makes me absolutely totally sick to my stomach to think about. But again, I'm not trying to glorify suicide. I'm just saying like, it's so common. It's so common. And I think like even in in our circles where we know this happens and we know people who have committed suicide, you mm-hmm. know, or tried and we still don't talk about it. Yeah, we I don't. mean, we talk about it because it's in, you know, at the moment because it's sad. And then I feel like we completely disconnect from the fact that like, this is happening mm-hmm. so much. And so what are we doing about it? What is the school doing about it? What are the teachers doing about it? What are, you know, what are we doing in studio class to help each other. I don't know. And, and who knows how that, you know, if that would make a difference, I don't know it, but it is such a common thing in a performance field to, um, to occur that it makes me think that there is something there that is, um, happening at the schools that is exacerbating it perhaps, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we can, we know some of those things that are happening. There's, it's such a competitive field. So there's internal pressure. There's also the ugly side of, of peer pressure Mm -hmm. that comes in forms of, you know, public shaming sometimes from the teachers or really, um, really negative backbiting among peers, you know, and, and, and just that whole culture, (laughs) 
did you ever see the movie Whiplash? No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't either because I'm afraid it's going to trigger too much. Oh, no. But about that, you know, the teacher, that sort of sadistic relationship between teacher and student where it's like this, you know it's terrible Mm -hmm. and you know that the teacher is, you know, using all kinds of really inappropriate, horrible methods to get something out of a student and the student is, is struggling and yet there's that one magic moment that somehow comes out of it that in in some people's minds justifies all of that mm-hmm. and and to me nothing can justify that because those magic moments can happen without all of that but it's it's like we still expect that a little bit and even I know I remember experiencing this like mm-hmm. that feeling of when you get ripped to shreds mm-hmm. by your teacher in front of everybody else Mm -hmm. that you just feel awful. And yet at the same time, you feel a little bit honored that they cared enough to think that you were worth that. Yes. Which is just awful to say that. Yeah. It's a horrible up and down. (laughs) Yeah. And there were so many times where like, even the idea of me just being asked to play in studio class, like I remember in both of the studios that I was in, both uh, with my first year and my second year, um, I was like, honored and terrified you know it's like oh my gosh yeah I would love to play or holy moly I gotta practice or you know whatever that feeling is but I completely agree yeah well Um, go ahead oh I was just gonna say um around the topic of failure I mean obviously Mm -hmm. with performance anxiety that is absolutely a great way (laughs) sarcastic to put yourself in that feeling of being a failure absolutely being a total failure um And continuing that. So, you know, in my second year, I was taking other courses and stuff and I, in my whatever, (laughs) whatever state I was in, I thought, you know, Hey, I'm not going through enough pressure and I'm not going through enough anxiety. (laughs) Let's apply for a DMA. Right. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. I, I um, mean, I think it's sort of like that everyone does it. That's what you do yeah, next. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> some of my friends were and some of them weren't. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why I just automatically like lumped myself into that uh, particular group of people. But um, I just, yeah, I, again, I think I just was, for whatever reason, I was told that's just the thing you that's do, you right? Do. You yeah. have to go straight through. Um and the thought of not knowing what I was going to do after I graduated did really terrify me. Cause I, you know, I had a church job, but that was it. I mean, I was a student, I was in school and I had nothing else. And I was really afraid that I would just be stuck waitressing, you know, and not using my degree. And that's the stigma, right? Mm-hmm. That's not reality, but that's what a lot of people mm-hmm. think. If you're in a deep within a degree program, right. I'm not going to do anything musical after I graduate. Well, I can now tell you from experience, that's absolutely not true. It's totally, totally doable in any city. I think not just in metropolitan cities like Kansas city, but anywhere you are, you can do your degree without, you know, without going on for your terminal degree. Anyways, it just might so. look a little different. I think we have yeah. this idea that you only make it as a musician if you're either in an orchestra yes. or you have a full-time university gig. Yes, that, exactly. That's the only way you're a professional musician. So right? not Which true. And I was, I was deep in that. False. Yeah, yeah, I was deep within that. Oh, like, yeah, mentality, and, yeah. 
Oh, it was awful. And anyway, so I, I had built a really good relationship with um, another teacher at another university who had a DMA program, and that sparked my interest in maybe applying for a couple more on top of that. So I put tapes together, and I sent in applications, and I spent hundreds of dollars on that, and that was stress too. And, you know, I went and visited, and I went and did lessons, and I did the whole gamut. Auditions and, and all that. Yeah. It was it was a ride. I mean, again, like mm-hmm. I said, if, if my first year wasn't enough, I really really rehashed a lot of that anxiety that second year, because that's another layer of anxiety. Well, if I don't feel super great at this institution that I'm currently at, what makes me think that this application for this different Mm -hmm. school is going to be any different? Um, for whatever reason, I just kept doing it, right? I kept applying and I just said, let's just try. We never know. Um, but I wonder if part of it is, you knew you liked teaching the piano skills classes. Mm -hmm. And I wonder I mean, that's, that is a university thing. So in order to teach that at a university, it is generally expected that you would have a doctorate. So did that play into that at all? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And it does make sense, you know? Yes. And at the time, my boyfriend who soon after that became my fiance was working on his terminal degree Uh, and, you know, he was doing a DMA and in uh, music composition with the intent of wanting to teach at a university. So I was inspired and a lot of my friends, you know, again, either were going on or were currently in doctoral programs. And from an academic standpoint, I was absolutely of caliber. Mm -hmm. I work hard. I'm smart. I, I can catch on to things. I'm an excellent teacher. And I was like, Oh yeah, like I, on that end, I can make it in. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's that other element of being able to play where I was still, yeah, I was still really struggling, but I thought, well, you know, that could be my element of saying, I still need to learn, but that's why I need to go to this other school. It's like, I need to continue my learning process. Um, so anyway, I was on that track. I was on that track and, um, I was able to be awarded, um, a couple of auditions, which I was shocked. Truly. <laughs> I was shocked because of my playing was not great at the time. Um, but I, I had an audition set up for a Saturday in, um, like middle of February and the audition was on a Saturday. So the week leading up to that, the Monday before, so I guess six days before whatever, um, I woke up and it was just a normal day. Um, and I remember laying in bed and waking up to my alarm. And I remember reaching over to grab my phone, which was my alarm and trying to turn off my alarm. Well, I remember my hand couldn't Like I was trying to press my thumb down onto the phone to press the stop button and it was really delayed (laughs) and Mm. it was really weird. And I just like, okay, I'm just half asleep or whatever. So I eventually just like got it turned off and I sat up out of bed because my, my arm felt kind of funny. And all of a sudden I realized that both of my arms from about my shoulder all the way down to my fingertips primarily on one half of my arm, but really kind of all over in both sides of my arm were asleep. And normally when that happens, it means that you've like slept on your arm wrong. Right. Like it happens all the time. You wake up and you have like a tweak in your neck or, you know, mm-hmm. something and you're like, Oh, it goes away. Sucks. Yeah. yeah. That kind of sucks. Like I slept on my whatever wrong. So my first instinct was like, that's, I've never had both of my arms feel like this. Like normally it's like I sleep on my side and it's just on the one side, but I immediately noticed that it was both of my arms felt funny mm-hmm. and I didn't know what was going on. So I just like, I tried to get out of bed and like put clothes on and like take a shower and it 
progressively got worse. Like by the minute, like the tingling was more intense. Anytime that I tried to stretch my arm out straight, uh, whether that's like to pick something up or just literally just straight in front of me, I felt the, the tension of what felt like a nerve because it was tingling. Mm -hmm. Um, but something was stretching in a not pretty way. And Mm -hmm. I, I was starting to hurt. And I had no idea what was going on. It was absolutely terrifying. So I called my primary care doctor and this was really nuts. Even holding the, the cell phone up to my head, what happens obviously is that your hand or your arm is bent. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time I didn't know, but my ulnar nerve was the problem in both mm-hmm. my arms. And when you bend your arm, like you're holding a cell phone up to your face, you're hyperextending that. So that actually caused like shooting pain. And I had to put the phone down on speaker because mm-hmm. I couldn't even hold a phone to my head. This was like 10 in the morning, right? Wow. Or nine in the morning. And I'm calling and I'm like, I need to come today to the doctor. I don't know what's going on. I think I just, maybe I have something out of a socket. Like that's immediately what I thought. I just, something's not right. Something's not right. Thankfully I had a pretty clear day that day. I don't Mm -hmm. know how schedule wise that worked. Um, but I went to the doctor and I'm sobbing to my primary care and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you don't understand. I'm a pianist. I have an audition (laughs) this week. I cannot not use my arms. I feel like most doctors understand this when you come in and you're like, I'm an athlete. And then when you come in and they're like, I'm a musician. They're like, that's nice. Yeah. Like it is the same. It's just like small muscle. (laughs) Yeah. It is just as vital. And she, I mean, my primary care was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But she was like, you need to calm down. Like I remember her <laughs> saying, you need to take some deep breaths. Yeah. I was sobbing, right? I had, sure. my eyes were super red and swollen <laughs> and I was freaking out. Right. I'm also like at the height of my stress with of my course. anxiety and everything. So and every- audition looming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am really, truly the hottest of messes yeah. that this person could see. I was like still in sweatpants and, and, and anyway, so, uh, she said, well, I, I can't get you into the hand specialist until tomorrow. So I came back the next day and they had determined that, um, I had a bilateral ulnar nerve entrapment, which means that, um, I had built up so much tension in my neck and shoulders when I'm playing and when I'm sleeping and when I'm studying and all the stuff. Um, if you kind of crunch your shoulders and neck up like this, then you can kind of start to feel it eventually will start kind of slowly going down the back of your spine. Um, and not, not far, probably to like on, um, like the middle of your back or like your bra line or Mm -hmm. something like that. So really not that far, but what a lot of people don't know, the ulnar nerve is your funny bone. So when you hit your funny bone, that's why it causes the tingling. That's the sensation I had when I woke up on both arms. So it was very weird, right? It's just very like, go away. No, it didn't. It was, it just, kept Mm. there for a long, long, long time. Uh, so anyway, uh, long story short, the tension that I had been carrying Mm. in all my neck and shoulders had literally, uh, my hand specialist told me was a ticking time bomb and it was only a matter of time before I would literally wake up one day and the nerves would be so pissed that they would just inflame and become so inflamed that they would just be hypersensitive to any sort of arm movement. Mm. So whether I'm bending my arm straight out in front of me or bending it up like I was holding the phone, right? right? God Um, forbid trying to use fingers independently. Yeah, nothing. So it was only a matter of time. Mm. Uh, This seemed like 
a total weird situation to me. Did right? you feel like deja vu in terms of like this time last year, it was like, they're playing a joke on me. And now it's yeah. like, here I am a year later and my body's playing a joke on me. Like, it what absolutely was. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> was that. And I, you know, they were explaining it to me like it wasn't a big deal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yes, I'm exactly. Gonna, like you don't understand. I'm going <laughs> to tell you again, right? Like my this is whole my entire life career. is my arms and my yeah. hands. And they're like, oh, well, you'll be fine. Like it just a little bit of treatment. I'm like, no, but like what you're. <laughs> if I don't stick to this schedule. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I have anyway. So they told me pretty quickly that this is going to be a long-term recovery. Um, mm-hmm. I was in physical therapy for eight weeks wow. and I went five days a week. So wow. it was very intense. And they told me pretty much right away. They're like, yeah, we don't want you touching a piano because we don't want anything that's going to piss off right. the nerves. And your um, for pianists, it's your fourth and fifth fingers. So your mm-hmm. pinky and ring fingers are sure. primarily where that nerve connects. And it's mm-hmm. on the inner side of your hand through your funny bone up through your shoulder. It kind of wraps up and around at the top of your shoulder and then back through your spine. So that's mm-hmm. all the same nerve. It's probably one of the largest nerves in the body is what they told me. Um, so it does take a lot to piss that nerve off wow. in the amount that I had inflamed. So do you think that your anxiety played into your tension, which then translated into that? Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm confident because I, I did not sleep on my hands wrong. I mean, I think that may be a combination of not sleeping really the way I should, but it was, my doctor really did tell me, she really said, it was only a matter of time before because the amount of tension and like I had to get my neck realigned. Like there was Mm -hmm. a lot of other stuff that was going on and, um, I had no idea. I had no warning. I had no, no signs, no symptoms Mm. of anything being wrong, except for just like being so beyond stress and so beyond my level and anxiety and stuff. And again, um, I, I personally think that maybe that was part of my coping mechanism. You know how some people turn to other coping mechanisms. I did not listen to my body one bit. I Mm. never stretched. I didn't work out. I didn't do anything to help my body at all. Oh, I wasn't doing yoga. I wasn't drinking water. I wasn't doing pretty much any of the general health, you know, requirements because, um, that's another horrible thing that's glorified in grad school is, Oh, you just push through it. Right. Right. You just like stay up till five in the morning every day. And of course, you know, the people who, you know, the best ones can do that. Right. That's the idea. Like, and if you can't, there's something wrong with you, Exactly. (laughs) which is the actual opposite in real life. But yeah, I remember thinking, you know, if I went to bed at midnight, that was a a wimp. Yep. No, oh, like, oh, that was, was a win. win. Yeah. But like also a whim. Like I <laughs> right. yes, you gave up on your life. A lot of people that would day. stay up so much right. later yeah. practicing or whatever. But yeah. Um, and practicing was normal. I mean, at that level, normally a normal day would involve anywhere from four to eight hours of practicing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's not counting your classes, your lessons, right. your Homework, chamber music, yeah. your accompanying or anything. Everything yeah. That's else. normal schedule. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, of course the, the injury, I was on rest for about four months. I didn't mm. play the piano at all. So um, did you cancel the auditions? I guess yeah. like, okay. Yeah, I had to, I, right. I wrote to them and I said, I don't really know what's going on, but I have an injury mm-hmm. that I have been experiencing the past couple of days and I need to not play the piano. Um, 
And my studio teacher, thankfully, was completely understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to finish the semester with meeting during our normal lesson times, but I did a paper instead. Yeah. So I wrote, you know, I did research and I earned my A, right? Like she worked yeah. with me, which was phenomenal. And it, it all worked out, but I was just, I mean, if I, if you, if I were to compare the level of devastation from, you know, like when I didn't pass my hearing that first year to my injury, I would say it had to have been like 30 to 40% more devastation with my injury. Thanks for tuning in to this interview with Emily Trapp Jenkins. Stay tuned for part three. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please let us and others know. And don't forget to subscribe so you stay up to date with our latest episodes. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mindfulmusicped, on Twitter at mindfulmusicped, or you can contact us at mindfulmusicpedagogy.com where you can also find other helpful resources.